Welcome to today's family experience, helping families pull together in a world that's pulling families apart. My name is Chuck Higley. I'm the lead here at Project Patch, as well as your host for today. And I will say it's been a lot of fun this spring. Had a lot of had a chance to meet quite a few of you. Um, either that's that I've been traveling a lot, or we have a small audience. I'm not sure which it is. Um, but it's been a, a it's been great to get the feedback. Meeting a lot of parents out there. Um, been traveling the country quite a bit. Um, spent quite a bit of time in some of the colder areas. It was in Bellings this year. Um, also up there, out of Coeur d'Alene and Anthem Church there. And at Refresh Conference, Northwest Ministry Conference, it's just been a busy spring. And as I've been visiting with with different parents doing seminars, what really struck me as as important is that our kids seem so vulnerable nowadays. Um, it's a word that I hear coming up quite a bit from other parents. It's something that I just find myself focusing on on more and more. Um, this idea of vulnerability, that our kids um, are so capable, but at the same time, um, they have these weak spots. We're going to be focusing on vulnerabilities over the next several podcasts, maybe even longer, just because they're, they're something that's so important. Um, this idea of vulnerability is that we have this part of us that's open to assault, um, that's difficult to defend. If you think about, you know, typical movies is that even Star Wars is that this is amazing weapon that they have that has the small vulnerability that, you know, that is exploited. And that's, that's the key to defending is, is finding the vulnerability and let's go after it. And so the good guys do that in the movies, but we live in a world in which really our kids are being exploited. Our kids have these vulnerabilities that they're weak to. Um, and they're being they're being attacked by it. Not just our kids. Us as adults have have the same thing going on. What I find interesting is that we're kind of struggling with the same technology in parallel. Um, but some of the reasons that adults struggle with technology, the kids don't struggle for those same reasons. But kids have different vulnerabilities that are being being exploited. And so you know, a lot of the the discussion that we're using is this idea of of what is our weak spot. You know, it could be physical, but really where I'm looking at it more is that emotional side. What is it that's going on emotionally that makes things a little more more tough for us? You know, and, and when you look at vulnerabilities, it's it's interesting because a lot of people want to know where do these come from? And, you know, is this something that, that people are born with or is it some people more vulnerable, vulnerable than others? And, you know, I'm not sure. All I know is that all of us are vulnerable for, for many reasons. You know, some are born with certain... Um, you know, I'm not a scientist, but it seems like genetically they're more prone to, to struggle with food or they're more prone to struggle with alcohol, um, that genetically something's going on that, that makes them more vulnerable. You know, in those cases, you know, what I'd have to say is that that doesn't seem fair, but it's, it's the reality. I'm raising a, a fantastic young boy that, that we adopted um, several years ago. He's been an absolute pleasure to have in our lives. Um, one of the hard things about about him is that he, he's got some genetic challenges um, that make him sick easier, and he just doesn't process things quite as easy. And so, you know, there's, it's not unusual for us to, to have some candy or some sort of dessert sometimes. And there's a healthy serving for the rest of us, or <laughs> maybe at the, for some of you, you're rolling your eyes right now saying, how can you have a healthy serving of sugar? Well, I think most of you get it. You know, there's there's an amount that we can have, um, a serving size, let's say, or or maybe more, um, but our son's real susceptible. So when we start giving him treats, you know, there's times that he gets less than the rest of the family. And, you know, that doesn't seem fair, but at the same time, you know, him getting sick from it, having prolonged um, episodes of, of being away from school, that's not that's not positive either. And so as, as a 
think one thing that we always want to look at for ourselves and for our kids is, you know, is there something that maybe they're born with? Um, but more often than being born, it's something that, that we find that trauma brings all sorts of vulnerabilities. You know, the spots that we've been hurt, especially if we haven't processed or dealt with them, tend to become weak spots. They tend to become sensitivities. Um, you've heard of the idea of people being triggered by something. Um, where think about an anger thing where, where someone suddenly becomes their their level of anger in response to a situation is is way more extreme than, than you'd expect. Think about the person that's cut off on the highway and suddenly becomes real explosive in their anger. You know, was it being delayed by 13 seconds to work? What caused that anger? Is there something else that wasn't healed? Something else, some other injury, some other powerlessness? I don't know what it is. Fear, response, you know, there's probably a bunch of them, but what is it that that simple cutting off in traffic or swerving or disrespect, what is it that that bruised, um, that, that sent out such a violent violent uptake on that? And so, you know, a lot of times what we look at is is that weak spot can be really be exploited. You know, one that we see on a common basis is this idea of a father wound. In this world that we live in, there are so many people that have been hurt by fathers, either um, physically, emotionally, there's there's different things, or just you know the fact that that so many kids are growing up without a father, and that's a vulnerability, and that does tend to be, ex- in a way, it's it's exposed, and and it's attacked by by so many different things. That father wound. Here's the the beauty of this that I I want to you know establish right right ahead is that, you know, the vulnerability from trauma is that in our weakness we can discover strength. You know, some of these areas that that our weaknesses can be transformed into things that are, are very powerful for us. Um, but just on the on the skin end is that, you know, unresolved, undealt with trauma is something that, that gets us into trouble. Um, there's also a vulnerability from our appetites. Someone that's smoked can develop cravings for nicotine. For someone that hasn't smoked, they're not going to have those same those same cravings. And so our appetites, you know, what we've done, um, you think about video game play, um, pornography, social media, you know, as you use it more, it creates more of a, more of an appetite for it. And so the vulnerability increases. Um, and then just the, the one of unmet needs, you know, the vulnerability of unmet needs, you have a need for companionship, you have a need for relationship, you have a need for honesty, you have a need for meaning in your life, all those are, are valid needs that we have. And when they're not met, we find that all sorts of trash can start trying to meet them. As human beings, we have a we have a deep need for creativity. And what we find is that creativity unmet um, starts coming out as bitterness. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Is that bitterness is that thing that attacks us. And, and it shows up um, so that we end up being critical of other people that are trying, when in reality, we're the ones that, that never you know, that, that gave up on some of that creativity. And so I hope you kind of get a sense for what I'm saying is that is, is talking about vulnerabilities is there are these things that come from someplace, you know, everything from how we're born to what we've experienced, the habits we've developed to, to these unmet needs that make us, as we walk through life, easier to be manipulated, um, easier to be reactive, and then really easier to fall for some of the, the real negative things in this world. Um, that could be people, it could be be things. You know, we are living in a world too that, that we're constantly being manipulated in, in some ways that are super obvious and some ways that aren't aren't as obvious. Um, one one 
real good example for that is um, candy at the checkout line. I don't know when it happened. It was kind of a subtle change. I'd love to to know from the the people that invented it. But have you noticed that the grocery not grocery stores, but like um, the lines at certain stores have really changed the the checkout line. Um, Best Buy is a, a early adopter where um, Best Buy would have a long line where everyone waits together, and then they have you know maybe eight different um, checkouts that that people go to. Um, but when you look at that line, they sell stuff often that they don't sell in the rest of the store. TJ Maxx is, is another example of this. All the um, Hobby Lobbies, the the home, those little um, craft stores, all of them tend to have these lines that sell all sorts, sorts of pretty cheap stuff, from candy all the way down to little knickknacks and stuff. Um, same with, with Home Depot sells <laughs> a bunch of candy bars at their checkout lines, drinks, gum, that sort of thing, magazines. And what's interesting is that what... Um, different people have looked at is that there's this thing called um, fatigue that comes from restraining yourself, self-restraint fatigue. And when you're going through a store, you want all sorts of things. By the time you reach the checkout line, (laughs) you're exhausted from telling yourself no. And so what they've discovered is that by that point, people are just worn out and they say yes to some really trivial things. Um, The candy, that's the gum, for example, that's sold there at the checkout line. You could buy it cheaper in the same store if you're in the candy aisle. But they know that you have that craving at that point. You're really vulnerable from saying no and and being tired. Um, They also know your kids are going to be just pestering you one last time and and you're embarrassed. You just want to get out of that store. And so you're vulnerable at that point for, for making some some snap snap decisions and so they exploit that um, another one that i just recently was thinking about was the autoplay on youtube or netflix is that once a, a video is over it doesn't go to silence once a video is done it moves directly into the next video there's a countdown sometimes an ad but it's hard to turn it off because it just exploits our, our curiosity of what's next and also it, it um, requires us to have another level of self-control you know, and, and self, self-timing, you know, so it, it, it manipulates us to keep, keep us involved. You know, so there are a lot of examples out there. But the reason I want to share this is because as parents, as people that want to be living in this world rather than, than being exploited in this world, is that, you know, it takes, it takes some time for us to, to really see um, that unless we start Helping our kids around these vulnerabilities that they have, they'll have have certain weaknesses. Um, they'll have weaknesses that are exploited by other people. You know, so if you look at a, a kid that um, that's that anyone else could come and um, well, we think of of people possibly, and I, and I don't throw this around lightly, but that idea of that low self esteem, the kid that doesn't like themselves. You get anyone that starts paying attention to them, that relationships feels really good. Um, so those is it's really easy to get exploited in bad relationships or not being able to be- break a bad relationship. And so that's, that's a concern for us, isn't it? As parents to realize, Hey, you know, our kids are going to be, be exploited by people, you know, if they, if they have these, if they have these vulnerabilities that we don't look at. And um, the other thing that I'm really concerned about is that it's really exploited by technology. Um, technology more and more has this ability of, of identifying weaknesses and playing to those really strongly. And so, different ones play out in different ways. You're going to see some trends as we talk through this. Um, but really our goal is to, to look at how do we raise kids that are capable 
um, that are capable adults that can manage their their weaknesses that can you know identify when they're being manipulated and and be able to make some good choices around that you know so my goal isn't just to talk about vulnerability but I also want to really look about healing and, and building defenses by healing I'm talking about getting to the root of it so if this is a vulnerability that that there's some cure for let's let's cure the thing um, but at the same time you know let's build some defenses so that if it is something that's easily weakened um, it's it's harder for the enemy to get at it and also you know sometimes healing just takes time and so in the meantime how do we how do we um, build a buffer how do we protect how do we protect this this area of us that's that's pretty weak um, so with that, I just want to kind of get started. We're going to talk about different vulnerabilities over the next um, while um, with these podcasts. We're going to be talking everything from shame, um, loneliness, ignorance um, about our bodies, ignorance about relationships. Uh, we're going to be talking about hopelessness. We're going to be talking about secrecy, shame. I think I already said that one. Um, there's a bunch of them that we're going to talk through. Um, entitlement. But today I want to start with, with one called loneliness. The idea of loneliness. It's interesting to me as I started looking at, at different statistics online, um, one that really surprised me is one in five Americans suffer from persistent loneliness. You know, and persistent loneliness is that idea that it's not just a passing thought or feeling, it's something that digs in. You know, so 20% there suffer from some pers persistent loneliness. I'm a psychologist at BYU, Brigham Young, and University of Utah found that social isolation, and it's interesting that they actually um, studied this to the point of both actual isolation as well as perceived isolation, which is, which is really important to, to think about. Um, so actual isolation and perceived isolation be, may be more deadly than obesity. Did you get that again? Is that the, that um, found that social isolation, actual or perceived, may be more deadly than obesity, increasing a person's chance of premature death by 14%. Um, There's some other studies that have been done that are similar that, that take it up to almost 26%, near double the risk of early death from obesity. So increasing a person's premature death by 14%, double the risk of obesity. You know, another um, study found that lacking social connections is compared to comparable to the risk factor for early death of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So isn't that surprising? It's so easy to look at something external and say, you know, don't smoke, um, watch your weight. But this disconnection, you know, this isolation is, is being found to be deadly. And, and this is spread across. This isn't necessarily a youth study that, that exposed this. You know, it's hard to know exactly where it's, where it's coming from. You look at, at the loneliness factors for, for older people. Um, there's some amazingly sad statistics there. Um, but what we are seeing is, is self-reporting as well as studies, you know, showing that, that kids really are, are struggling with loneliness. Um, you know, first of all, loneliness is a feeling. It's, and, and like all feelings, they alert us to something. Um, similar to how Mark um, Shelsky described a while back when we were talking about, about emotions in, in his um, book, and he can look back at a podcast for that, you know, the idea that it's, it's like a, a signal on our, our car dash um, lets us know that there's a need that needs to be met. Um, it doesn't always signal that we need to be around people. I think that's important for us to, to look at here because 
loneliness doesn't necessarily happen just when you're alone. And there are different types of people. Brene Brown um, talks about that lonely feeling is what they call it. And she describes that lonely feeling often coming um, for her when she's in large groups of people. And so speaking at a conference surrounded by people in a really busy environment, um, and that lonely feeling can, can come up. And that lonely feeling could um, also not come when you're on a, on a solo um, time, when you could be isolated from other people, you could feel perfectly, perfectly content. Um, being really aware and, and teaching that, that language, what does lonely feel like? And being able to talk about it. Um, there's a lot of times people almost don't feel like sharing their lonely because they feel like it doesn't quite make sense. Why would I feel lonely when I'm surrounded by by so many people? Why would I feel lonely when I've got friends around me? And um, for certain people, that loneliness really is is something that, um, you know, is, is just coming at them. So, um, you know, for, for someone with a lonely feeling, it could signal that the, our best response is to get off on our own and recharge for a little bit. Um, go on a walk by yourself, um, journal. I mean, there's all sorts of different responses. Or for some people, it's it's just a sign that, hey, you need to you need to get in some deeper connection here rather than the superficial. Um, you need to you need to find a way to connect one on one or or do something with with people. You need to get out of out of this lonely time. And so, you know, just make sure that that signal does get a response. Um, when you don't respond to that signal of of I needed. I need to make some change in my life. Um, you tend to transition to depression pretty quick. Um, those are really linked. The sad thing about depression is that it's really a place where action becomes even more difficult. Where loneliness will be a light that says I need to do something. Depression gets to the, the point that easily turns to I can't, I can't do anything. You know, second, loneliness is a lot about perception. Um, some people feel uh, more discontent and isolated when they perceive that others are more content and, and stable. And so it's, it's kind of a perception. It's a comparing ourselves. I'm in this situation and I feel this way, but everyone else seems to feel a different way, um, which social media really feeds into that too, just because you get a sense that other people are living life way more connected um, and feeling good about those connections th than we do. Um, it's really easy to get into the I'm the only one syndrome. Um, I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one who's dissatisfied. I'm the only one. And, and that tends to, to push to more loneliness. You know, finally, loneliness is a vulnerability to identity um, because we tend to easily um, dismiss it. Um, how could I feel lonely when I'm people, with people all day? You know, how could I feel lonely when I have a close family? How could I feel lonely when I have such good friends? Um, how could I feel lonely when I have a sibling? Um, you know, how could I feel lonely when I have so many people who follow me on social media and like what I do? Um, it really is... Um, easy to dismiss. And what I want to say is, is don't dismiss it because it is, it is that signal. You know, another thing is loneliness is normal and it is, is a part of our life. We go through times, we go through seasons. Um, even on a regular day, there might be times that, that it, it, you know, ebbs and flows. Um, but what I'm really looking at is, is, you know, how does that, how does that become exploited? Um, you know, extroverted people, um, tend to feel more lonely when they're alone. Introverted people tend to feel more lonely when in a crowd. And that's pretty interesting. You know, so really our personality can affect how we live out, you know, our, our lives and, and what sort of things make us feel lonelier. 
And so knowing our, our personality really is important, you know, and, and kind of getting to the point that, of course, I feel that way. <laughs> you know, I've just spent all day long with, with a bunch of strangers and, and I, I long for connection. Or a person that's saying, you know, I, I really, um, I really have been, been isolating. I've been working on projects on creative stuff and I haven't been sharing enough. And so recognizing that, that they, they'd benefit from, from being in, in deeper relationship, you know, and I think in either one of these, what we're looking for is, is meaningful connection, not just a, a count of people. You know, one thing that I will say too, is that trauma does affect our loneliness. Um, a lot of the kids that, that we work with put a smile on, um, they carefully share their life. Um, but they're really afraid of people knowing the real them. That that idea that if people really knew me, um, they would reject me, and so I need to be very careful about about how close I let them in. Sexual, physical, emotional abuse really can result in so much distrust, um, and so avoiding getting into to deep relationships. And so for people that have been through these things, you know, just that distrust of letting someone else in, the possibility of getting hurt again. Um, these things lead to to carefully manicured relationships and um, keeping people at a, at a certain distance. Um, and we all really do have this need for deep relationships and community. And we're trying to cope with life at the same time, you know, especially when we don't have those communities, when we long for those communities, but we don't have them. And, and that really sets us up for, for some, some dangerous areas. Um, let me transition here for real quick for some ways that loneliness really is exploited um, in some specific things electronically that I think is is fascinating. Um, when it comes to pornography, Dr. Gary Brooks um, wrote in a couple different places, the more one uses pornography, the more lonely one becomes. Which is interesting because Dr. Brooks is actually looking at it as a as a causality. And, and later on, you'll see that there's some um, uncertainty for certain actions of is this caused by it or is that, is it, you know, which, which causes what, which comes the, the chicken or the egg. But what Dr. Brooks is saying is, at least for pornography, is that um, it increases loneliness. This action um, takes someone and, and, and makes, them, makes them even lonelier. Um, Dr. Anna Bridges writes, for both male and female porn consumers, their habit is often accompanied by problems with anxiety, body image issues, poor self-image relationship problems, insecurity, and depression. I'll read that again with anxiety, body image issues, poor self-esteem, excuse me, poor self-image, relationship problems, insecurity, and depression. You know, and, and the power, the sad thing about that is, is what she's using is, what she's saying is that as, as people consume more, more of the porn, um, it increases these social tensions. It, it makes them more uncomfortable on social things and feeling more inadequate around it. And so it inc that's, that's the path of, of increased loneliness. And really that depression sets in where they, they're not sure what to do with it. Um, I've talked to a lot of kids who use porn just simply because they were bored and they, they needed something to do. It was a time, it took up time, it was a mask of, of boredom. On top of that, you know, what, what they report, which is really interesting because other forms of, of entertainment don't tend to do this, um, but they had these really fleeting and mysterious ways of um, feeling seen, feeling connected as they used the porn. That there was this um, transference or something that took place between the image, the 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 activity, and and themselves that it gave them a sliver of of connection. 
and and it was also fleeting. It was gone. You know, it disappears. It's not a lasting thing. Um, but that is is one thing that you know just to keep in mind, especially as you have kids that describe it, is that they it, they crave connection, and it provides um, glimpses of connection. You know that that keeps kids coming back, and so for me, it's it's not surprising to see. You know, especially when when I look at loneliness, to see that the so many of the kids that are are stuck into porn really do feel alone. Alone, they feel isolated, and the more they use, the harder it is for them to be in a relationship. You know, moving on to, to video games. You know, there's a lot of different studies out there that show um, loneliness and depression at their higher levels with kids that play the most. Uh, what they're recording is the number of hours the kids play in a week, and their self-report on on isolation and social type things. And so the kids that are playing 19 hours compared to the kids that are playing 40 hours, you know, dramatically, dramatically different. Um, here's where I, I kind of hinted at it, but the question of causality really is is interesting. Did the games cause depression, or did depression lead to gaming? You know, did the game did the games cause loneliness, or um, did loneliness lead to the gaming? And they're not really clear. What I can say is that um, even with the multiplayer games, you know, the games that that you're playing with a bunch of people, um, they don't help with loneliness or depression. It's not a cure. You know, if it was a cure, you'd see that the kids that play more um, would probably feel less. And so, you know, keep that in mind is that is that there are a lot of things that are evidence-based shown to help with, with loneliness or depression, and games aren't aren't one of them. You know, the other trend that I see coming out of video games is that if you look at at what the games look like, and this is always what makes art, is, is I'm a kid of the 70s, which um, means that for me, games were, were, you know, something that you'd play either arcade or, or that you'd play with, with a real simple console. Um, more and more games back then were multiplayer games in which you're waiting to take turns or you're doing it in some sort of social settings. Um, for some of you that are, are um, children of the 90s, you know, your games that you were playing, a lot of them were co-play games. Maybe that's the best way that I can describe it. They're a multiplayer game, but you, instead of waiting for turns, um, you're both doing it at the same time in the same place, split-screen co-player. Um, examples of that are like Mario Kart, where you're racing and, and you're together, you're sitting on the same couch, um, you're playing the same game. Um, sports games tend to be this way. And so if you look at um, FIFA, the soccer games, you know, any of those sorts of things, you're playing sp- split screen, um, couch, you're interacting, and that's the, that's the multiplayer game. Um, Halo was that way, and so a split screen. The trend that, that, and people are kind of complaining about it, but it's it's the reality of the world we're in now, is that majority of majority of the games that kids are playing aren't co-player anymore. Um, they can be multiplayer. That means that they're, you know, playing on the on the using headset. They're all on the same um, adventure together, but they're not sitting on a sofa together. They can't be sitting on the sofa together. You know, you need to use separate controllers, separate consoles. Part of that is really because of the the um, graphics on the new modern video games are so brilliant, so um, processor intensive that they can't do the split screen anymore. Is that it? Just doesn't the games the split screen? They'd have to um, denigrate the the 
the video graphics in order to do split screen. And, you know, the video players now want perfect screen and they want, you know, so many different things. So they've actually given up on the co-player idea. And so there are still some sports games that, you know, you can split the screen on, but more and more of the games that even, you know, traditionally were um, sit on the sofa together and play aren't anymore. Um, on top of that is if you ask, and, the, and there's some searches that I did on this that was interesting, is, is there are certain games that make players feel lonelier than others. You know, the landscape, the setting, the, the experience that they're having is that not only are they playing a game, but it has this dark sense of loneliness. You know, they're on a mission in the middle of a forest. No one's around. Um, no interactions. They're just, you know, figuring it out for hours without without a, a whole lot of interaction. Or that idea that you are on the frontier of space and you're alone. You know, that's part of the story of the game, but these kids are feeling lonely in the game. You know, whereas some other games, they, they might feel less less lonely. And I just say this because a lot of the times for video games is that yeah, the report is that kids feel lonely or playing them. And the aspect of it is that it's it's one of those activities that kids are using a lot of times just to buy some time, you know, until someone comes home or until they have some other interaction, until they go some other place. And it becomes a world world on its own. You know, moving on to social media, what's um, hard about social media is there's so many different flavors of it. There's so many different things going on. Um, but a lot of times they give a, an impression of a social and connected environment you know, so the people that are using the, the platform really feel like there's there's this environment in which which people are, are really connected. But as they start recording it, the people that use it more, similar to gaming, the people that are using it the most are feeling the most isolated, are feeling the most disconnected. Um, you know, people go online often so they can feel connected. And so they'll go onto a social media platform just because, hey, I want to see what's going on. I want, you know, I want to feel I f I'm feeling lonely. Um, self-reporting when they get off, they feel worse, you know? So imagine that you're going to say, um, this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm going to go into social media because I want to feel connected with my friends. I want to know what's going on. And so you write down your goals. I'm going to use it for an hour. You know, the hour ends, you know, assessment. How do I feel now? And what the reporting is, is that I, you know, feel worse about myself or I feel less connected to my friends, um, overwhelmed, some of those kind of things. So the social media world is is interesting with that. Um, the fear of missing out, FOMO. <laughs> I like some of these acronyms. Uh, there's so many of them nowadays. But um, FOMO is that idea that that there's so much going on, but but you feel like you feel like there's so much life happening, and and you're missing out on it. So um, if spring break season's happening right now, um, the people that are posting on spring break, the pictures and some of those kind of things, they might be in you know someplace super exotic where you're not. Um, where you're stuck, you know, at home and your parents are at work, those kind of things that kids feel uh, pretty strongly about. And so it increases that that sense of I'm the only one I feel outcast. Um, you know, when you see friends doing something and you're not invited or a party that you weren't you weren't selected for, those those sorts of things. Once again, why am I sharing about vulnerability specifically about loneliness? Um, it's because I really want healing to take place. You know, for a kid that's really susceptible to loneliness, um, wow, you know, I'd, I, I'd love that kid to live a life without, without that loneliness. For a kid that's stuck in, in depression, um, man, there's, there's life beyond that. You know, and for us as adults, we need to have that hope. 
you know, because that that's contagious for our kids. Uh, for a kid that comes into our youth program, for me, I, I know that there's life beyond what they're they're facing. Uh, you know, what would life be like if if they weren't isolating? You know, what would what would life be like if if they were in a relationship? And so I'm I'm really wanting that for them. And so let's keep that in mind: is that you know we want these vulnerabilities to be broken down because the opposite side is is something really good. And in the meantime, we there's stuff that our kids need because. Um, they're so raw from these vulnerabilities of being exploited that, you know, helping them find some some relief. So first, you know, some help for, for loneliness. I'm um, really basic stuff. I mean, you can search all over the internet. You'll find lots and lots of things that might work for you and um, that you feel comfortable teaching. First of all, I say, you know, have conversations with your kids around it. Um, being able to s- describe it, um, not hide it. If you were um, experiencing some loneliness, being able to share that with your kids, not in a, in a major, um, weepy way, but just, you know, I was just at a, at a group and, you know, I felt really lonely. I, I was lots of people around me, but I, I, I knew I needed to get out a few minutes so I could collect my thoughts. I went on a quick walk around the block. Um, I did a little journaling or I looked at some art, you know, whatever it is. And then I was ready to go back in with a group of people that, that I didn't know you know, or I was able to interact with more people after that. Uh, those sorts of stories are, are really helpful. Or that idea of, you know, today at work I was, you know, getting a lot done, um, but I started to feel this dragging, dragging sensation. I wasn't thinking as clearly as I wanted, so it really helped for me to get up and, and you know, go talk to someone for a few minutes. Those sorts of stories are really helpful because it teaches our kids how to deal with it, you know, how, how, um, how to process life, how to process that, that sort of thing. Um, some of the things that, that Psychology Today, they had a great article called The Cure for Loneliness. They say, you know, really work on improving social skills, teaching kids how to break the ice, teaching them how to start conversations, um, really equipping them to ask for help. Those sorts of things are, are really, really helpful. Um, so many kids feel awkward. So many adults um, feel awkward. And so how do I, how do I break, break the ice with someone? Um, how do I start a conversation? Those those are skills that they can learn, and they need to practice them and and realize that it's it's uncomfortable. You know, everyone else is going to be standing around a big group, and how do you how do you get the the conversation going? Um, another thing that they recommend is enhancing social support, and that's the idea of, um, in a sense, looking at our vulnerability and 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 getting some support around it. So. You know, for an adult standpoint, divorce support groups are a good example of that. I mean, you've just been through a divorce. It's a time that you'd feel pretty lonely, pretty pretty hit hard. And so, you know, joining a support group to get some help. So that'd be a, a teaching time as well as a community. Um, you see it with, with older people that it's really useful if, if they've lost a spouse. You know, so groups around um, grief and loss. Um, for kids, there's there's times that it might be less less obvious. Um I have a daughter moving into middle school, and one of the things that parents have suggested is is the cross-country team is a great place um, for incoming uh, middle school kids to get involved. Um, they practice for a few weeks before school gets on. It's all the same age kids, and they, they develop a, a support structure around that. Um, so those sorts of things, organized group activities, social opportunities, all those are, are real important. Increase opportunities for social interaction. That almost sounds like the social support but it's more of, of activity-based, social-based. Um, and so really getting into the, you know, if, if you're a kid that's, that's on your own at home, um, 
playing the video games and feeling really isolated, what sort of things could you get involved with that, that you'd enjoy? And so, um, you know, some of those could be think, everything from volunteer opportunities. Um, they could be a, a part-time job. Um, some of it could be things like, um, you know, once again, volunteering at the zoo, getting to know people there if you like animals, you know, that, that sort of thing. Or joining some sort of um, club, service club, some sort of um, group that gets together on a regular basis. Those sorts of opportunities just help um, break some of those ice, get some friendships going, and, you know, see people face-to-face. You know, a big one that the Psychology Today talked about was changing maladaptive thinking. So I think we, we got a sliver of this earlier, is that lonely people tend um, to, to increasingly become, become increasingly sensitive to rejection and hostility. Um, that means that, that they their radar, their sensitivity gets turned up. So any, anything that would appear like a slight or, or something negative becomes interpreted as, as that. So um, if you're feeling lonely and, and someone walks by with, with a frown on their face, that's going to be taken as a personal rejection. Or it could be that that person was just concentrating on something else. And so the maladaptive thinking is just that idea that um, looking at the world through a, a, a magnifying lens, looking for evidence of, of hostility and, and rejection. And so part of the process of, of looking at maladaptive thinking is, is you know, building some empathy, um, some process of, of slowing down the thinking, you know, to say, you know, what if that's not the truth? What's another explanation for that? Um, in a sense, saying it out loud to a good friend is really helpful. Um, talking through it, that's where, where we've seen a lot of benefit from group and, and individual therapy is that, that there's times that as some thoughts get exposed to the, <laughs> exposed to the tongue, um, that it just becomes clear that, you know, that really isn't, you know, there, there probably is some other way of looking at that. And so real important. You know, as a, as a Christian, I find it so interesting to me that the Bible has so much to say about loneliness. Um, not in the, the sense of stop it, <laughs> um, but just a God that gets it. And um, one of the, the interesting things, if you are you know reading through the Bible from a Christian perspective, is Genesis 2.8. Um, God had just created all these things and said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he comes out with this phrase, the first time in the Bible that it says something's not good. And in Genesis 2.18, it said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. And in this case, um, he makes Adam a helper, um, a helper suitable for him, which is which is pros- pretty awesome, you know. And I'm not saying that our kids need to get married <laughs> at a young age, um, but what I am saying is that it's the idea that the Bible says isolation, you know, and for us to be isolated, self-sufficient, those are are bad things. You know, our our Bible, you know, our God wants us to be to be connected. Our God wants us to be to be relying on other people. And not just the self-sufficient, entertaining ourselves, being alone um, by by ourselves. And so it's not good. Um, John fourteen sixteen says, um, "I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, who's who will stay with you forever." You know. So from a spiritual standpoint, is that God doesn't want us to be to be isolated. You know, the the idea of the of of sending the Holy Spirit is because we long uh, we long to be with with God. Um, and so from a spiritual standpoint, God never, never leaves us. That's not his, his intention, um, which is, which is important. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says the one who has unreliable, who has an unreliable friend soon comes to ruin, but
but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, an unreliable friend. You know, and, and really, I, I take that some of it is just un, unreliable friend, as in we've got um, people in our lives that are flaky. But more than that, you think about what role social media or, or you know, a video game or pornography, those are unreliable, um, totally unreliable in our lives. And so Proverbs, you know, 18.24 says, but there's one who sticks closer than a brother. You know, that idea of, of closeness um, is, is real important. James 5.16 gives even more guidance. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other um, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, I love that idea that it's, it's confession takes place in community. Um, you know, I, I just to be blunt, <laughs> there aren't too many... I mean, I mean, laughing about it, but it's really a sad thing is that this is not something that, that most Christians practice, that idea of being in this, this real safe place where, where we're connecting to each other, being able to, to share um, to each other. We tend to um, share only our strengths with each other. And if in a social media world, that really is the, the I share my, my front stage with you, but I hide everything that's, that's real. And what, what this is saying is, is in a real safe place, um, you have to be in community. This is part of that idea of healing. Um, real important part of it. And so I, I love that idea of, of pressing forward with that. I really do encourage um, kids and parents to be in, in that sort of community. Um, John 4, 1 John 4.18, um, you'll hear me use this verse all the time. I'll drone on and on and on about it because it's, it's so important to me. And 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You know, the opposite of loneliness is love. Wow, that almost sounds like something you'd put on a t-shirt or, or something that you're like, blah, 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 blah. The opposite of loneliness is love. Because it sounds so trivial, but but the power behind that is that, you know, we're living fearful lives, and it says that perfect love drives out fear. You know, and it's easy to take a look at, you know, God's love drives out fear, but, but what I really encourage people to try is do something outside of yourself. For you, even practicing imperfect love drives out some fear. Um... You know, so so if you're feeling fearful, and, and I often do this, if I'm feeling fearful, I go out of my way to do something um, real simple, you know, something that, that I can do in that moment. It, it could be picking up a piece of trash as I walk into a, a building or walk down the road. Um, it could be holding the door for, for someone. Um, it could be just, um, you know, just something so simple. But the, but the process that I go through is is choosing to do, to do something loving, even though I feel like this is a moment that I need to do self-protection. And so perfect love drives out fear. You know, do something that won't even be noticed. Um, you know, and this is something that, that I feel tons of power around um, for families that are feeling fear. Do something kind. Do something, do something exceptional together. Um, some sort of community service at that point that you're feeling scared. Just, just go out there and, and start doing something, something kind. Um, so those are some of the scriptural helps. I'm sure there's more. If you've got some, I'd love to hear it so I can share it with with kids and other people. Um, so send them, um, send ideas to me for for some things that you you find scripturally helpful or even you know psychologically helpful to Chuck at ProjectPatch.org, Chuck at ProjectPatch.org, and I'd love to see them. Um, so those are some of the things that I think bring healing and some of the shields. But there are some specific things for shields that that we've seen over and over really helpful with with kids. Um, Setting up weekly meetings with other people. And so building into your rhythm of your life some sort of connection. And for people that, um, 
for kids that, that you say, you know, how does that work? Because they're with kids all day long at school. They're going class to class to class. Aren't they with people enough? And what I have to say is that what you're looking for is meaningful connection with people, you know, where they're choosing electively to be with it um, is, is really important. And, you know, one-on-one opportunities are, are part of that. And some of it could be group, you know, so build that into, into the rhythm of life. You know, another thing that's really key, and this might sound so blunt, but sleep, um, our teenagers struggle with sleep, us as adults probably even do, is really protect the edges of sleep. Get rid of phones, get rid of the TV in the rooms, um, the distractions, anything that beeps, and really work on, on getting a good amount of sleep. Um, there's something about feeling rested that really helps um, build up some bravery, gets the next day started to write. Um, exercise, hugely important. Even better is, is some sort of group class. Um, some sort of, of time to exercise with people. And, and that could be cycling together, running together. It could be an aerobics class. It could be uh, the, joining the cult of, of um, you know, any one of these fitness programs. I won't even name them because you guys will probably start sending me weird hate mail if I talk about it. Um, but, you know, well, I'll just say it, CrossFit. <laughs> um, you know, just join a, a box or whatever they call it and, and get involved. And, and there's just huge help for that. Um, your brain's going to scream that, you know, I'm not going to do well here. People are going to make fun of me, but just just do it. Um, it's a it's a huge defense for yourself. Um, get in the habit also of having this, this um, schedule into your life in which you're going electronic free. And that might sound like a... a weird solution, but it really does, does bring a lot of help. Um, we'll be, um, hopefully having a, a podcast coming up soon. Andy's said he would in, in maybe April, May, um, Andy Crouch, who wrote tech safe home, um, recommends doing an hour a day, a day a week and a week a year without any tech on. And that's not during sleep time. That's during the waking hours of the day, one hour a day, one day a week and one, one week a year. And that tends to bring a lot of perspective, um, reduce fear, um, gets you involved in some face-to-face analog type stuff. And then had a lot of people find a lot of success in journaling, um, writing down these thoughts, writing down these, these concerns that they have, um, sharing their thoughts on, on paper really helps them get the help that they need. Um, so those are some of the, the shields. I'm sure there's more. I'd love to hear what you have to say about them. Um, so just send them to Chuck at projectpatch.org. And like I said, in the coming weeks, we're going to be spending um, time talking about other vulnerabilities. Um, and, re- you know, really my, my goal is that through talking about these difficult topics, we can really um, focus in and, and identify which ones are risks to us personally, which ones are, are risks to our kids, and take those steps to, to heal and, and also build some shields. Um, if you're interested in some of those notes, if you look at the show notes, I'll have some of the links to the articles that I used, um, some books that I find helpful and hopefully those will be a help for you. You can also there um, learn more about some of the ministry things we do at Project Patch. Um, I'll be teaching two of our family experience weekends coming up in the next couple of months. What these are are weekends Thursday through Sunday. I'm focused at, at equipping the entire family, kids and parents, to pull together in this world that's, that's pulling families apart. Um, it's a real fun combination of teaching, experiences, um, ropes course type activities, um, having family time in a real beautiful place in, in Goldendale, Washington. And so those are coming up May 17 through 20 and July 12 through 15. I'll be teaching those and love to, to share more with you. If you're interested, you can register online at projectpatch.org. Just click on family program or you can call us at 360 
690-8495 um, to get registered. So it's been a pleasure spending time with you. Thanks for all that you're doing to, to make a difference in kids' lives. Um, just pray that you're blessed in all that. Now go out there and connect with your family. We can help at Project Patch and today's family experience.